teaching text today is from Micah 1, 2 through 5, 5, 2 through 5a, and 6, 6 through 8. Hear you peoples, all of you, listen, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For lo, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread up on the high places of the earth. Then the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will burst open like wax near the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All of this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression, transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be one of peace. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So this Sunday, we are starting the first of four Sundays where we're going to be hearing from one of the prophets. So we're hearing from Micah today. Uh, next week will be uh, Isaiah and then Jeremiah and then Habakkuk, uh, the first Sunday of December. So uh, each of these, these are the, what we call some of the writing prophets because they have a book of the Bible that's named after them that was written either by them or by some of their followers, a record of their preaching uh, during their time. So since Micah is our focus today, we have a little bit of a greatest hits, these three uh, sections from Micah in our reading today. I want to sort of set the stage so we know about where we're at and when we're at with Micah. So if you remember back three weeks ago, we had the story of David and Bathsheba. David was Israel's second great king, and he was also the second to last king of a united kingdom. Because after his son Solomon's rule, the kingdom of Israel split. The northern kingdom seceded and the southern kingdom uh, stayed uh, with, Jake, uh, with David's uh, lineage and kings. And the northern kingdom was known as Israel with its capital in Samaria. And the southern kingdom was known as Judah with its capital in Jerusalem. And never again would the whole kingdom of Israel, the whole 12 tribes of Israel, never again would they be united. So last week, we heard the story of Elisha, another prophet, healing, that of Na healing the uh, Naaman, the general of the, of the Syrian army, the Assyrians will come in later, of the Syrian army, uh, and healing him from his leprosy. So that was about 150 years after the kingdoms have split. 
Our story this week, our, our, our person this week, Micah, was active another century after that. So by the time that Micah is active, he's down here in the southern kingdom of Judah, and the northern kingdom has been split from the southern kingdom for more than two centuries at this point. So this is about where we're at. Now, next week, I'm going to give you a little preview. We'll be hearing from Isaiah. And Isaiah is about the same time as Micah. So Micah and Isaiah overlap, and they're both preaching, they're both prophesying about the same sort of events, and that is especially having to do the immediate event is the Assyrian army invading uh, into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. So we'll hear this story next week, but what happens is Assyria wipes out the northern kingdom of Israel. The Assyrian army was known for their brutality. I had a professor in college who called them the Nazis of the ancient world. Probably they invented crucifixion. The Romans picked that up from them. They were, they were a terribly brutal army. And they came through and they wiped out the northern uh, kingdom of Israel. Never again would it be a kingdom. And they came through and they wiped out almost all of the southern kingdom of Judah except Jerusalem. We even have record, uh, archaeological record of the king of Assyria. He says, I, I destroyed 35 of Hezekiah, that was the king in Jerusalem, 35 of his fortified cities, and I locked up Hezekiah like a bird in a cage. But Jerusalem never did fall. Jerusalem fell under siege, but it never did fall. And so, of course, the king of Assyria claims that as a victory anyways, as leaders and rulers are, are, uh, tend to do, claim victory, even if it wasn't quite a victory. Uh, but this is the events that they are looking at. So Micah and Isaiah are both prophesying. They're both preaching about this fall of the northern kingdom, and they're both looking ahead to the impending fall of the southern kingdom, although it will be another century until that happens. But they're doing it from two very different places. So Isaiah, as we'll hear next week, is a royal prophet. He has uh, got an audience with the king. Uh, he speaks with Hezekiah. Hezekiah comes and asks him for political advice, even if he doesn't always follow it. What does the Lord want me to do? Hezekiah is in a position, or uh, Isaiah rather, is in a position of power in the walls of Jerusalem. Micah, on the other hand, is from this village, the small village outside of Jerusalem called Morasheth, a village that does not have walls. It is not fortified. It is not one of the strategically important cities of Hezekiah. And so as they are looking and interpreting this Assyrian army that is ravaging their countryside, Micah has a very different perspective from his village of Morasheth than Isaiah does inside his high-walled city of Jerusalem. So let's get into our reading then. So our reading is in three parts. Uh, it's divided up, and I, I just want to give you a, a little taste of the parts, but then we'll focus on the third part. So this is in, in chapter 1, and you can hear uh, maybe some of the strong language that Micah is standing in the outside of Jerusalem as he's speaking against uh, the leaders and the rulers here. Lo, he says, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. A little farther down, all this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? That is the northern kingdom. Is it not Samaria, the capital? And what is the high place? That is the place of idolatry of Judah, the southern kingdom. Is it not Jerusalem, its capital? You can see why Micah would uh, have a different perspective than Isaiah does, although Isaiah's language isn't uh, so rosy either. 
Then our second, our second section of, of this comes from chapter 5, and uh, that is a familiar one. You see that, from you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, will come for me a ruler over Israel. This, of course, is one of the promises of the Messiah. This is where we get the promise of Jesus Christ uh, being born in Bethlehem. But you notice, again, it's this small village of Bethlehem. Where does this ruler come from? Not from the royal halls of power in Jerusalem, but from this small village of Bethlehem. Then we get to chapter 6, and this is where I want to focus, because this verse at the end of chapter 6, the verse that I used for the children uh, this morning, Micah 6, 8, is one of the most famous verses, certainly the most famous verse in the book of Micah. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, I had a professor in seminary who was preparing, uh, he was an Old Testament professor, he was preparing a uh, lecture, I guess, on Micah. He was teaching a class on the prophets, and so he was preparing a lecture on Micah, and he had remarked to his colleague, his colleague had asked him what he was doing, and he said, oh, I'm I'm preparing this lecture on Micah, and his colleague pretty jokingly uh, said, oh, that's a good verse, that verse of Micah. Because that Micah 6.8, that tends to be the only thing in the book of Micah that we actually recall or remember. But if we were looking at this uh, chapter 6 in Micah, what it is is God has set up a trial of sorts for Israel. He has come up and he has uh, called witnesses, and the witnesses that he has called are the mountains. He's calling creation to witness against Israel. And then he brings this charge against Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? Answer me. And he recounts this tale of the exodus and leading them through the wilderness. And then our section here, this uh, starts in verse 6, is the people's response. With what shall I come before the Lord? With what shall I bow myself before God on high? In other words, how can we make this up to you, God? So they start out with some fairly standard sacrifices, right? Uh, Should I come before him with burnt offerings? Seems reasonable. Uh, Calves, a year old, that's even a little over the top, a little extra, that's good, right? That'll certainly get God on their good side. Well, then they try another strategy. Maybe do the same thing we usually do, but more of it. What about thousands of rams? Certainly that will make God happy. Or uh, ten thousands of rivers of oil. That, That would certainly, God would be very happy with a sacrifice of that size. But then they keep on going. Well, what about this? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now, that's inconceivable for us. But in the ancient world, the best sacrifice you could give to the gods if you wanted to make them owe you something was to give up your own child. And while Israel was commanded not to do that, one of the kings during Micah's prophecy did this with his firstborn son. But Micah responds, He has told you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Now, first uh, glance, that seems like, okay, well, maybe that's easier, right? So, I mean, I don't know where I'd come up with uh, one uh, calf for offering, let alone several calves. I definitely could not come up with thousands of rams, and I'm not even sure where to start with 10,000 rivers of oils. I, yeah, I wouldn't be able to do that, and of course, I'm not going to give up my firstborn. Uh, like, so this seems easier, right? Do justice, uh, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. This seems like it is a little bit of a lessening, except it counts every moment of every day. 
Rather than just uh, these occasional and exceptional moments of giving, we could say, you know, rather than giving a little extra on your tithe every month, rather than going out on a mission trip and serving the poor once in a while, you actually are called to live your entire life doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly before God. It's a little harder to do. In fact, uh, without maybe the specifics, I'd kind of rather just have to do occasionally uh, righteous things, uh, maybe going over the top just every once in a while, rather than having to live every moment of every day doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly with my God. So what does this mean? What does it mean to do justice? Well, as modern people, we tend to think of justice, when we we hear the word justice, we think of equality, we think of fairness, we think of uh, human rights or civil rights or all of the things that make our democracy uh, work, that make our democracy go around. But I want to think a little more specifically about what justice is, because justice isn't just some idea out there that the world is structured by, it's not just some uh, moral law of the universe, justice is actually an expression of God. Justice is actually an attribute of the person who has created us and who is still relating to us through his word. So when we want to learn what justice is, we go to God's word. And where do we go in God's word to learn about justice? Well, we go to the law. We go to the Ten Commandments. We go to Jesus' explanation of the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. We uh, hear Jesus' summation of the law and the prophets as love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it means to do justice. It means to honor your father and mother. It means not to kill or harm in any way, or as Jesus will say, not even to be angry with another, but rather seek to protect them. It means not to steal, but rather to help others keep what is theirs. It means to be faithful to your spouse. It means uh, not to try and use the court system to get what you want, bearing false witness against your neighbor, giving a false testimony. It means not trying to get somebody else's things for yourself through legal or illegal means. To do justice means to live according to the law of God as God has given it to us. What does it mean to live kindness then? Well, kindness, that word there is one of the most important words in all of the Bible, in my opinion anyway. And it's the word, it's in Hebrew. I'm going to say it in Hebrew because it's fun to say. Chesed. So got to get way back. I know you wanted to help try it here. So get way back in the back of your throat, almost like you need to spit something out. And you go, chesed, way in the back. You do that? Chesed. Yeah, there we go. We're going to need some Kleenex in here, I think. Chesed. It's, it's a word throughout the Old Testament, and it's translated as, as kindness, as, as love, as steadfast love, as uh, loving kindness. I'm trying to think what else. Mercy, uh, covenantal faithfulness. You see it in all these different ways. Loyalty. Uh, and what it is, is it is the act of being generous and, uh, and faithful to a person, even beyond what is demanded, even beyond what is required. And so we are called to love in this way, but more importantly, I think, is we are to love God's chesed for us. Because God shows us kindness, God shows us mercy, God shows us love by choosing to make promises to us. I mean, think about that for a second. How remarkable is that, that God, the creator of the universe, chooses to make you a promise? And then, beyond that, that God chooses to keep that promise, God doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe us anything, but God chooses to do this and to be faithful to that. That is God's chesed. That is God's loving kindness, God's steadfast, unfailing love. 
And then there's that last piece, to walk humbly with your God. As I mentioned with the children, humility, uh, we often think of it as sort of a virtue of being uh, maybe something of like a doormat or at least not, you know, kind of a false sense of, oh, I'm just not very important over here. But humility is really knowing who you are, knowing who you are before people, but also who you are before God. That means knowing that in uh, relation to doing justice, you are not doing the justice that you ought to do. That means in relation to loving mercy that you do not love God's mercy as you ought to, and you certainly are not showing that mercy as you should. That means living a life in repentance. You know, in the small catechism, in uh, uh, the explanation on baptism, Luther writes this. So what then is the significance of such a baptism with water? He says this. It signifies that the old person in us, with all sins and evil desires, is to be drowned and die through daily sorrow for sin and through repentance. And on the other hand, that daily a new person is to come forth and rise up to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. All of life, Luther says, is a daily baptism. It is a daily dying to sin and rising to God. It is walking humbly with your God receiving from him what you need, mercy, and living out of justice as that sets you free to do. One more uh, mention about justice that I think is important. Remember, Micah is standing outside of Jerusalem. He is calling on justice in those who are standing inside the walls as the Assyrians uh, ravage the countryside. When Isaiah talks about justice and when Micah talks about justice, you can see they're talking about it from very different perspectives. The call for justice usually comes from those outside the walls. And as the ones on a hill in a walled city in many ways of our world, we would be wise to heed that call for justice. But of course we fail. Of course we do not show the mercy that we need. And so we must live in repentance. So hear the word that repents you, the word that turns you to God. And it is this, that in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.